Welcome into another episode of We're Talking Tonight. We're talking Sunbelt Conference football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Good evening, Danny. Buddy, I enjoy our weekly visits. I appreciate you having me. Well, I appreciate you doing this. I mean, both of us had a little bit of a rough weekend, and we'll we'll get into that later on. But um, I almost feel like saying let's get it out of the damn way so we can enjoy the rest of the evening. <laughs> let's do it. You know, we were talking off air about uh, the Cajuns and Rice. I, I don't think Rice is there yet, but at the same time, when they were picked 10th in the Conference USA poll, they're going by last year. They're not going by yeah. what they did this year. You know, they moved McCaffrey to a receiver, so no one expected him to do what he did, except for maybe his family members. <laughs> Oh, by the way, I hope somebody took advantage of the marketing opportunity when you're talking about Cajun versus Rice. I hope somebody jumped on that because that's too perfect. Uh, there were several of them. Let's make some gumbo out of rice and so on and so forth. And I'll, the one I will not say because it's kind of crude right now, but I'll tell you off the air, okay. which goes back to uh, 1983 when we played the 1982 so this is my third time at a Cajuns rice game. They've only played five times. And um, I've been to three out of the five. I, I am one in two right now. So maybe I have to stop going. So, but all right. So what, what uh, I know your game was, uh, was going on, I believe, at the same time. But I know you follow and you do some follow-up with everything to check what's going on. What What did you see about the game, or what What was your anomaly? I guess that you that you thought was there in the game. Uh, when you go anywhere, whether it's Cajun Field or wherever else, and you've got the nation's longest winning streak, it's it's not just a bullseye, but it's a magnified bullseye because everybody wants to be that team that says we ended the nation's longest winning streak. And I've seen some undue criticism online for coach Des who has won his first three games. And look, I know it probably hasn't been in the most convincing fashion with those first two contests, but in this league, as tough as it is, you take everyone you can get regardless of what it looks like cosmetically that streak was going to end at some point. And I guess you can say better on the road than at home, because I know how much you guys have dominated at Cajun field over the last four plus years. And yet yeah, probably does hurt that it is a rice program that has not been good for a while, but they are trending in the right direction. Coach Bloomgren was actually somebody that was in consideration for the Georgia Southern job a couple of times over the years, but to see him, it's been a slow climb for that program. And I don't know if they get to bowl eligibility this year or not. I know that they're not really highly thought of in conference USA yet, but I do think that a win like that against a team that came in with a 15 game winning streak is going to give them nothing but confidence going forward. And at the same time for the Cajuns, look, it's a losing streak or it's a winning streak that's over, but it has no bearing on the Sunbelt conference. The West division is something that the Cajuns have won each of the last four years. I know there's going to be some teams that are nipping at the heels this year, but at the same time, it's still the Cajuns division until it's not the Cajuns division. 
And starting this weekend, conference play picks up for a number of schools. And Georgia Southern is going to be in non-conference for one more week before they head to Coastal on October the 1st. But for Louisiana, it, it, it's, it's an unfamiliar feeling. You go from winning 15 straight games to wondering, okay, new coaching staff, no more Levi Lewis, losing a lot of guys off that defense from last year. Is this going to be the norm where those first two games – the sign of things not being the way that we think that they should be. But that's what a lot of teams all across the country are thinking about, even though we're a quarter of the way through and most teams have nine, eight games left or whatever. You got to decide who you're going to be the rest of the year. But if you don't handle your business in conference, you can do whatever you want to in the non-conference because if you don't beat your league teams, ultimately it's not going to matter all that much. Absolutely. I I just think it's one of those things that people forget that, uh, you know, Coach Napier went seven seven his first year, um, and and did not start out looking like we were going to be in a bowl game in that seven seven year. And the other thing, you brought up the Eastern Michigan game. Yeah, we looked bad in the first half. But at the same time, you score forty nine points in in about twenty five minutes of play. Pretty impressive. Yeah. It, so, it's clear somebody got ticked off enough that you know what? All right, th- th- this is cute and all the. The, the weather causing a delay and having a three-minute halftime or whatever. But ultimately, that second half was what the game probably should have been in the first place. It didn't look like it was going to be a close contest, even though hearkening back from our previous matchup against Eastern Michigan, it's been four years ago already. But since Chris Creighton has gotten there, I don't know that any team in the country has played more close games than them over the last decade. But to see the way that you guys in the second half just dominated the game should show fans and should show people around the program. Look, look, there is still this element of the Cajuns are the team to beat in the West. And it's just a matter of once you get into conference play, just being able to prove that week in and week out. Absolutely. Well, let's move on from that. And, and it, it, it reminds me of uh, what Coach, Coach Rogue used to say. Um, there's just some games you need to flush. It. You don't look at the game field. You don't do anything. Hey, just – Get it out of the guy's head. I don't know how much looking at that game film, you know, I I know they're going to, and I know they have to, but at the same time, the the, the teams have to flush it. So the thing about that concept is it's a lot easier to do it in baseball because you're playing 60 games in football. When you're lucky, you're getting 12. You play once a week. All that prep, all that buildup goes into that three-and-a-half-hour block of trying to be maybe not your absolute best, but certainly better than the team that you're playing on the side of the field. And when things don't work out the way that you prep and the way that you plan, the film is not going to lie about why things did not go the way that you thought that they should have. And that's what makes football so different and so great relative to the other sports is that you don't get very many chances, and half of those are at home. So there's only a certain number of dates that you get a chance to show out for the people that come to see you every week, love your program, bleed your program. And when things don't go right there, it's what did I spend my money and my time on? On the road, I've always loved road victories, especially when you can blow somebody out because to go into somebody else's house and do exactly what you intended on doing, there's something really special to that, to be able to quiet a crowd like Georgia Southern did in Nebraska a couple of weeks ago when 86,000 people got as loud as they could and then you heard how quiet they could get when the Eagles just made play after play after play. But it's the story of the season for whoever you're talking about and even though we're only three games in, everything that you do builds up to one shot a week 
and whatever gets written on those pages gets written on those pages. Absolutely. Kevin Foote, a uh, local sports writer, radio broadcaster here, talks about that. Uh, he said that's why baseball is greater. You don't have to wait a week to get back on the field and, and, and get that out of your system. So yeah, Sometimes doubleheader, you're waiting 30 minutes, you're going back out <laughs> and it or the conference tournament a couple of years, the last time that we hosted it uh, here and, and you go a gazillion innings and it's 15 to 14 and you got to get up uh, four hours later and play again. Is that the game that Hunter Castles had nine RBIs? Uh, it was something crazy like that. Yeah. He, his senior season, I know we're, we get off on tangents, but that's, what's great about, that's why we named, that's why I named it. We're talking, it ain't, we're talking football. It ain't we're talking, baby. we're talking, but uh, Hunter Castle's senior season, especially probably the last four weeks of the season, was about as fun to watch any player that I've seen. He had yeah. six set up Cajun record with six hits in a game at ULM, the last game of the season, and it was a seven inning game. Yeah, it's. That year, that 2018 season, the Cajuns at Georgia Southern opened conference play at J.I. Clements, and we didn't know what either team was going to be at that point, and the Eagles ended up taking two out of three and then didn't see the Cajuns. Yeah, didn't see them again until going down to the tournament when Coastal was clearly the best team in the league that year, and nobody was really going to be close. Troy tried, but they could. But it's funny being able to see a team at one point and then – a couple of months later, how they grow, how they improve, how they're affected by the wins and the losses. But that was one. When you play someone that early and once you get to conference play, and we're probably going to say that after the Coastal game next week, by the end of the season, you're going to think, okay, that's how Coastal has changed. And they're going to say, man, Georgia Southern's changed too. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the UAB uh, Georgia Southern game. That was a game, um, you know, I. It, it's one that I picked y'all to win, but at the same time, after the win in Nebraska, I don't know if it was a letdown. Is UAB a good football team? I, yeah. I can only follow on the stats. Yeah, yeah, UAB is a better football team than Nebraska is. And it would have been easy to say letdown after you go to a Big Ten team and win. But it was just the fact that UAB is really good at home. They're really good, period. They've got a smash-mouth running game. Dwayne McBride was phenomenal. I think he ran for 223 and four touchdowns. They've got a veteran offensive line, but what made them really stand out, and we talked about this during the broadcast, you could feel their culture. You could feel exactly what they wanted to do with their running game, with their defense, and that's a culture that's been in place for a long time. I mean, Brian Vinson is the interim head coach because Bill Clark stepped aside during the summer. He had some back issues, had to get surgery. He may get back in at some point, but the, the culture is well-defined there. They know exactly who they are. And after a 2-0 start for Georgia Southern, you're thinking, okay, this team's on the right track, but there's still a lot more that these guys need to understand about themselves and what they need to understand about what a game day is like when they have adversity. That's not to say the culture isn't strong. Coach Helton got the benefit of being hired last November, four weeks left in the season, so he had a chance to see everything. And he was literally there and did everything besides coach his first game. 
And I don't think we're foolish enough to think that the first season was going to be 12 or 13. And no, you were going to have a couple of bumps in the road. And being that this happened after the week that it did in Nebraska, this was probably a chance for this team to look at themselves and say, okay, we know we're on the right track, but we know we've got things to do. We don't need to change a whole lot. We just need to be better at who we are. Culture-wise, they're going to continue to develop that in this very same way that UAB has, and that's something that they've been able to build. That program, remember, they came back from the dead. I mean, they were they were done after the 2014 season. They missed those two years, but I was really impressed with their operation and the way that they played, and I, I would think that Conference USA is going to have some difficulty with them in their final year in the league. How was the crowd there? Uh, not very good. Okay, the, the reason I ask is because you know, the Cajuns played there in, in, in 2020, but it was a COVID season. You know, we played Iowa State with, with nobody in the stands. And at the time, I think UAB had a 13 or a 15 or a 20-game winning streak at home. 21? 12. Okay. 21. There you go. All right. You can you can talk. <laughs> but, I mean, I, but, yeah, I'm. It, it's one of those things that I, I was just curious because we didn't get to – I, I I didn't make that game, but I we didn't get to to have a crowd experience, so that's why I was wondering how the crowd. Well, that game was also at Legion Field, and that was before their new stadium opened. Their oh. stadium opened uh, that new stadium. It opened last October, so it's not even a year old yet. And I think that they can seat up to forty seven. I think is what their game notes said. They were expecting around twenty. It, it wasn't anywhere close to that, but still. UAB came out. They did exactly what they wanted to for most of the game. But I will give Georgia Southern credit when they got down 21 nothing. They got it down to 21-14 and then 20-21. UAB gave them some favors by missing two field goals inside of 25 yards. And Georgia Southern had the ball with about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, down one. But then an interception, UAB scores another touchdown. Georgia Southern throws the pick right at the end and just didn't have enough time to be able to come back. But there were there was some fight. I I enjoyed what I saw from the team bouncing back a number of times. Running back Jalen White went over 100 yards rushing in his home state. He's from Daleville, Alabama, which is down around the Troy area. I, I do believe that this team is going to do some things this year, but every now and then you need to take a couple of punches so you can find out who you really are. Yeah, I, we were following it on StatsCast, and it was 28-21, and, and then I saw the final score. So I, I really didn't know what happened, and we were – it wasn't like uh, I had the opportunity to watch. We were getting our ass handed to us. So, but we've already talked about that. So let's move on. Uh, <laughs> uh, don't need to talk a lot about it, but I think Southern Miss, it was nice to see them take care of business against a Northwestern State team that's really not very good, honestly. But yeah. Ty Keys coming back from injury of the, the six of nine. I think he averaged about 30 yards completion last weekend. And look, I don't care if it was against an FCS team. That's difficult to do. And I honestly think that a win like that is what Will Hall was waiting for. They won a couple of games at the end of last season when they didn't have any quarterbacks. And I think they were going to that super back deal, which is their version of the Wildcat. But they haven't had very many chances over the last few years to truly dominate somebody. And that is a very proud fan base in Hattiesburg. We don't get a chance to see them this year, but that that's one that I'm looking forward to because I think that the situations from a standpoint of fan base are really similar between Statesboro and Hattiesburg. But for them, a, a win like that is possibly going to open some things up as 
I'm going to guess they feel like the West division is wide open. Like we were talking about, it's still the Cajuns division until it's not the Cajuns division, but Southern Miss has been building ever since Will Hall took over and they had three coaches in a year, a couple of years ago. But now that Will Hall is the right guy for that job, I, I feel like it's just a matter of time before he gets them back to where they were before. I don't know if it's going to be double digit wins with conference championships. That might be a little farther down the line, but they're, they're not going to be a team that's at the bottom of this league for very long. Absolutely. Uh, Old Dominion and Virginia. I, I mean, I know Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech earlier, but I believe they were hosting that game. They went on the road to Charlottesville. Char yeah, Charlottesville. What did you, what did you get out of that game? I mean, is Virginia bad? Because I know Old Dominion really doesn't have that great of an offense. I guess. Well, I think we talked about that exact game last week, and we knew that Virginia had been struggling. And I think that we predicted that the league was going to get at least one Power Five victory. They almost got both. It took a last-second field goal in both of those games for the upper echelon squad to beat the Sun Belt squad, which really shows you where this league has come from and what they've done from a standpoint of competition. But I thought that Old Dominion was going to be in, and I knew it was going to be low scoring because they've got that really good defense. They got tight end Zach Koontz involved. He had a touchdown catch, but just didn't have enough time to get that last stop, and Virginia won on that final play. Uh, talk about the other, the other one then since you brought it up. Uh, I, I thought – I really felt like South Alabama had a great chance and a great opportunity to go into UCLA, and they just came so close but came up short. Well, what was it about uh, just under three minutes left? They're going for a field goal, which would have made for a five-point game. And I don't know what the call was. I don't know what happened in that instance. But running the fake field goal completely derailed their momentum. And it, it was it was similar to what happened to South last year. They had a two-score lead in the fourth quarter at Texas State. They try to run a flea flicker. And Texas State ends up recovering a fumble. They go down tie the game it goes four overtimes and the Bobcats get the win that was right before South Alabama hosted Georgia Southern on a Thursday night and they got back on track pretty quickly that was a game that I'd really rather not get back into but for South Alabama if they just kick the field goal Diego Guajardo has been reliable for years if that's good you're up by five and UCLA is needing to go down and score a touchdown instead of getting half the field to work with and only needing a field goal to win and that's exactly what happened they kicked the field goal in the final play they win by one inside a mostly empty Rose Bowl, which is unfortunate because it's one of the most beautiful settings in all of college football, but there are only a couple thousand people there all together to watch a Pac-12 team hang on against the Sun Belt team. Uh, I, I, it, it felt like South was going to get that one. And if they kick the field goal, who knows, maybe it gets blocked, maybe they run it back. You have no idea. But when, when you run a fake field goal like that and it looks as disjointed as it did and the defense is asked to get one more stop, against an offense like that with Dorian Thompson Green, who's a really, really talented athlete, one of the best athletes in the country. They needed to drive, and they got to drive. Yeah, I saw uh, Troy Aikman's tweet. Uh, a UCLA alum said this is embarrassing. Uh, it's time for a 35,000-seat uh, stadium on campus. But he said that would probably be half empty as well. So uh, do they get any more people in, into the stadium if they join the Big Ten or when they join the Big Ten? They need to make sure that actually happens because of the two that made the announcement. UCLA's Board of Regents has been trying to block that. I, I don't know if it's going to end up being successful. It seems like the hay might be in the barn. USC's been all about it, but UCLA has had a little bit of resistance to it. 
you're just you're going to have a tough time telling me with as many teams that are going to be in that league, especially if it continues to expand. You want the marquee matchups. You want the Michigans. You want the Ohio States, the Michigan States, the Iowas. You want the established programs. You don't want to have to worry about the Maryland's and the Rutgers and the Purdue's. Look, that they're fine, but we all know that the money is made whenever the marquee matchups take place in the right time slot. And if UCLA is desiring that, they need to understand that if the Big Ten continues to grow to one of those super conferences like the SEC is trending towards, if they go into a certain rotation of games amongst divisions, those matchups aren't going to happen very often. So you better try to maximize the bed that you make. Otherwise, you might make your money, but it might be more empty stadiums than every 15 years Michigan coming to play. That's what happens in the SEC now. I think I saw that what Georgia has played at Texas A&M once in 12 years. Yeah. And that, that's, that's what you're dealing with, with the divisional rotation, your pool that you play in, and then the rotating set of games. If, you, if the SEC ends up going to nine conference games instead of eight, but if that's the plan, then those are the kind of things you're going to have to deal with because scheduling-wise, there's not a ton of flexibility once you get to conference play. Well, I think I think there's a difference, too, in the SEC in the sense of, you know, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, while they have their moments, uh, they've got a pretty good fan base, you know, that are that are out. And if you look, they're kind of in the center of everything, so they may, they may be the outlier, uh, but you've – you still got some pretty good crowds where UCLA, uh, you know, there's no crowd. Yeah, let's let's not forget that less than a decade ago, Mississippi State was the number one team in the country when Dak Prescott was there. Yeah. And UCLA has not been relevant in college football consistently for a while. I know Chip Kelly has improved things a little bit, but that has absolutely become a second-tier program in the Pac-12. Now, it is very profitable. Now, the Pac-12, by losing your two Los Angeles market teams, is going to dramatically dip your value. But let's not sit here and act like UCLA football is a big draw. It's, it's exactly. just it, – it's not. All right. Two games that I thought were a little bit of supply, surprise for me. One, that, that Coastal struggled for a while with Buffalo. Any surprise there to you? I think Coastal's still trying to figure out who they are. They've had some injuries on offense. I still don't know that Braden Bennett, the running back, has played. I think he's been dealing with injury. And he was one of the national leaders in yards per touch in 2021. Remember how much they lost off that defense. The big thing that Jamie Chadwell had to answer at media day over and over again was, well, you've only got two starters back on that defense, and that's a defense the Black Swarm has been really, really good with Chad Staggs, who I think is one of the top assistant coaches in all of college football. They worked together at Charleston Southern. He spent time at Furman. I think that he calls one heck of a defense, but when you lose that much talent and that much experience, it is a lot to ask a bunch of next men up to simply not skip a beat. Now, look, culture-wise, they've got something figured out because they are 3-0. and Narrow against Gardner-Webb, trailing in the fourth quarter against Buffalo, but they recognized what was going on. They scored three touchdowns. They got their win at home. They benefited from a friendly schedule. But here in a couple of days, they're going to be going to Atlanta against a ticked-off Georgia State team that's 0-3. And, and I hate the must-win phrase because every game is a must-win. But if Georgia State doesn't win, 
they might be staring down the barrel of 0-5 because Georgia Southern goes to Atlanta the very next week. And the Eagles already have more than an ax to grind against the Panthers after what happened in Statesboro last year. I, I really don't care what happened in Statesboro. You always got an ax to grind with them. So I need a way to put it so people would understand. <laughs> no, completely understand. All right. Uh, Arkansas State, Memphis State. Uh, I'm. Uh, I thought this was an opportunity, but at the same time, I'm impressed with Arkansas State. They're not yeah. there. It's they're to me they're Southern Miss right now, but I'm impressed with what they did in that game. Yeah, the the special teams are going to be really strong with Johnny Lang returning kicks. I think that they've expanded his role on offense as well. James Blackman is trying to settle in, but a, a lot like what happened with Arkansas State last year when Butch Jones had to turn over half of the roster to try to get his guys in. It's a lot of new guys this year as well. I think that this weekend's game against Old Dominion is going to show who's taking the biggest step. Look, Old Dominion already has a power five win. They beat Virginia Tech. We've talked about that a number of times before. Butch Jones doesn't have a signature win yet. He has struggled mightily in a year plus in Jonesboro. But now they're in conference play. Old Dominion would like to say, well, we're in the league now. It's funny because they joined the Sun Belt thinking that they're going to get their travel cut in half. And the Conference USA, their travel is about 1,000 miles a trip. Now it's about 500. So, of course, their first trip is to Jonesboro, which is one of the longer trips they're going to take in the entire 14-team league. But they're looking at this as a chance to make a statement in a new league for the first time, truly. And for Arkansas State, they got to get a signature win for Butch Jones. And down the line, it may not look as a signature win, but you got to play the team in front of you. And for them, you also got a back home field, which has been a very tough team for people to play at, typically at Centennial Bank. Absolutely. Lastly, let's talk about the game. Uh, you know, you had a game day there and everything. Uh, we were we were following the game on, on GameCast and everything, and then finally I'm like, okay, enough. Put it on my phone. We saw the last 30 seconds or so. And right before, probably about – five or 10 seconds before the, the last play of the game, I get a text. And of course the game is on the TV, but your text comes above it and it says, wow, Troy. So we're like, Troy won. And then the play happens. So we have no idea if the play happens. Is Troy, I think App State is a very good team. Is Troy getting better, I guess? Oh yeah. We, we knew that John Sumrall was the right guy for that job for years and they are absolutely on track. What makes that whole game even more impressive, Troy didn't have Carlton Marshall. He didn't play. He's a guy that's on the verge of setting the FBS record for tackles. He did not play. He was hurt. And I'll take you inside our booth while this is going on. We see that Troy gets the fourth down stop with about a minute left, so we're thinking, okay, Troy's going to get the win in Boone with game day there. Meaningful for the league anyway, but for Troy to go up there and win would have been awesome. Didn't realize that they had taken a safety. Didn't realize that App had the ball back with a chance to win. And then didn't realize that App got a Hail Mary on the final play on a tip ball at the 10-yard line that Christian Horn runs in, giving them another miracle on the mountain. you got to go back to 2002 against Furman to understand that reference. It's on YouTube. Just go look it up. It, it, it's not the way that that game ended. Billy Napier was the quarterback for Furman that day. But for App to have that finish – 
to the end of that day with college game day in town and Keith Gill already salivating over the fact that his league has probably generated millions and millions of dollars in exposure for not just that sport, but for that conference, for that game to end like that. You, you can't, you can't imagine what that does for the league, especially for Boone and from a chamber of commerce standpoint for Appalachian state, but also for the league that people could say, Maybe this is the fun belt. Maybe they got the, the hashtag right. Do you think that play was designed that way to bat the ball backwards and have someone come? Yes, I fully believe that they told Christian Horn, look, you run to the 12-yard line, he's going to bat the ball back to you, you're going to get a block, and you're going to run into the end zone, and everybody's going to tackle you. I, I think that's exactly how that play was supposed to go. It, it, I forgot <laughs> I forgot about the safety because we did watch the, the safety and – and there was some disagreement in our booth on whether to do that or not. Well, for you guys especially, because what was it a year or two ago, you guys took the safety against yep. Apathy game, kicked it back to them. They were lining up a field goal at the end of the game, a real short field goal down towards the field house end, and they hooked it. And I think that that erased the losing streak. You guys have been to Boone three times in a year. But it's, it's just funny how different years and different circumstances yield different results. Yeah, that was my first trip to Boone. And I think I only missed one game between the Cajuns and the Mountaineers uh, in Boone. And, uh, and, I, and, and we hadn't won. I was there for that. That was an amazing day. I mean, people forget that the, I mean, the rain was coming down. It was cold. We had snapped twice our punter, our, our long snapper had snapped it over our punter's head. It, it was a game right. that anything that could go wrong went wrong but the Cajuns still won so but all right you're listening we're talking with Craig Malasa and Danny Reed voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles before we go to our quick break let's go live to Mr. Art V. Garrett of the Acadiana Religious Store Art how are you this evening I'm great one day you'll get it right what did, oh Acadia Religious Acadian Religious Shop yeah that too well, thank you for having me, Craig. Danny, it's always a pleasure talking to you, listening to your insight. And uh, just want to invite all of your listeners, Craig, to come out to the Acadian Religious Shop this Christmas season. I know it's early, but we can talk about it. Uh, we have a great selection of items. We have some great Cajun products. We just got in some coasters and coaster sets. And uh, we will have uh, a great selection of, of prayer rosaries and medals and chains, books and Bibles, anything that you might need for any gift occasion. Come out and see us at Acadian Religious. And if you want to visit us online, do that at AcadianReligious.com. Where are you located, Art? We're in the South College Shopping Center, about six blocks from the university. And uh, open Monday through Saturday, 9.30 to 5.30, closed on Sundays. Art, how long have you been in business? This Feb, well, me personally, about 26 well, years. But my mother and father opened the place in 1963. So this February makes 60 years. I know we're talking about Go ahead. Go ahead, Danny. That's 60 years. That's awesome. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. D uh, Danny. Art. Art. You too. <laughs> Art, we're talking football, but tell us a little bit about your dad since we got a little bit of a break and how he supported the Cajuns throughout the years. Oh, huge, huge uh, Cajun fan. Uh, my dad, actually, my mom and dad transplanted from Chelsea, Massachusetts. My father finished his minor league baseball career in Lake Charles for the Lake Charles Lakers, catchy name. And, uh, but yeah, as a, as a 
lifelong supporter of the Cajuns. Uh, my dad and, and Burl Shipley actually lived a block. We lived a block apart from each other. And uh, my dad spent many nights at Burl's house, went on many recruiting trips with Coach Shipley. And uh, they have a long, long history. And matter of fact, um, when uh, when my dad passed, uh, the, uh, the the person that uh, handled the the um, the, uh, the the funeral services said, you know, we, in lieu of flowers, would y'all like anything anything special to say? And my mom said immediately. My mom said, in lieu of flowers, please send donations to UL baseball, basketball, baseball. Oh, baseball! Yeah, really? yeah. My dad was a baseball. Player. Okay, well, I knew he he was a huge supporter of the basketball team, right? And Coach Shipley. But that was in the early, early stages yes. of baseball, and uh, every dollar was important for that UL baseball team. Well, very good. I see. I learned something new. I'm, I'm we're done. <laughs> no, all right. Well, we're back, and we're talking. Uh, uh, we're talking some about conference football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Danny, let's talk about the upcoming schedule. We don't need to go into all of them, uh, but the, the game on the you know first weeknight game for the. Uh, I think it's the first week night game. Uh, yeah, Coastal, uh, Coastal Carolina at Georgia State. What uh, you mentioned it early. You didn't. You hate to say must win game, but uh, who's got the upper hand here, though? Look, Georgia State started one and four last year before they rattled off seven out of eight, and they won the bowl game against Ball State, who's Georgia Southern's opponent this weekend down in Montgomery at the Camellia Bowl. I, I don't know if I'm them, if I can do that two straight years. Look, it, it may not be the same circumstances, but that's asking a lot out of your guys mentally to say, well, we did it last year. If we go 0-4, we can do it again, get back to a bowl game, show everybody that we are the true darling of the Eastern Division that everybody called us going into the season. Georgia State can't lose the game, in my opinion. They, they, they can't lose the game. And for Coastal, I don't think that they know how good they are yet because they really haven't shown much. They have a couple of uninspiring wins. Look, they're getting their wins. They're 3-0. and So, at this point, they're still one of the top teams in the league. But this is absolutely going to be a test, unlike they've had this year. They snuck one out against Gardner-Webb. They were down in the fourth quarter against Buffalo before they got the scoop and score on the botch punt. They got the long screen pass in the final minutes to make it a little bit more of a margin than it probably should have been. But for a, a Thursday night game in Atlanta for Coastal, that's not that far of a trip. But if you're Georgia State, I, I hate to put it this way, only three games into the season, but with as much of a gauntlet as that East Division is, you're probably a little bit desperate because if you're 0-4, 0-1, and you've got your rival coming up there the next Saturday, and that, that kick's going to be announced on Monday between Georgia Southern and Georgia State, where do you think your season's going to be able to go? Because you've already got app. You've got to contend with a coastal team that just beat you. Moore is expected out of James Madison. Who knows what Georgia Southern is going to be. Old Dominion has proved that they can get hot just like they did at the end of last year. This is a conference where you cannot slip up. You cannot be wearing socks on ice. Otherwise, you're going to hit your head and you're going to realize what happened. So I, I, if you're Georgia State, you can't lose the game, especially after as heartbreaking as last week was when they gave up over 400 yards passing to Charlotte in a game that they felt like they should have won. You mentioned the Georgia Southern game uh, uh, coming up against Georgia State, but the uh, the Eagles are hosting Ball State. Uh, I knew more about Ball State when I lived in Indianapolis, not so much now. I know they're a MAC team, I'm pretty sure. 
but yes. other than that, what 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 are we looking at in that game there? Program that two years ago won the MAC title during the COVID season. They went seven and one. They ironically beat a Buffalo team for the MAC title that year that Kyle Van Trees was quarterbacking. Then they win their bowl game. They finish, I think, 23rd in the polls, and they had that high to finish the season in school history. And then last year they had everybody coming back, but they had some injuries on the offensive line. They only go six and seven, lost some close games. This year they're one of the most inexperienced teams in the country. They've got a fifth-year senior at quarterback named John Paddock, but he has never started before. I think combined his first four years he played roughly a quarter, but now he, it's his offense to run. They've got a really talented running back in Carson Steele, who's got long blonde hair out of the back of his helmet. He goes about 5'11", 205, one of the most physically put-together running backs in the country that probably not a lot of people know about. And then defensively, they're pretty good about not giving up the big play. They're, they're solid about just keeping people in front of you. Their defensive line is as deep as it's been in a while, even though their starting defensive tackle didn't play and their victory over Murray State last weekend, but they've got some talent in the secondary. Their corner, Nick Jones, had two picks and a block punt last week. Got some transfers at linebacker. And for them, they, they don't journey to this part of the country very much. They, they did play at Georgia State back in 2016, and they're supposed to play at Georgia in 2023 because of the cancellation with, I think, with Tennessee and Oklahoma. There were some tie-ups there because of them coming to the SEC, and the schedules got all mixed up. So Ball State is going to fill a Georgia vacancy, and they're going to go to Athens next year. But this is one for Ball State. You had a chance to get back to 500, easily pick up your biggest victory of the year. And for Georgia Southern, you need to put some mouthwash in after losing last week. And if you're 3-1 and one going into conference play, especially at Coastal, a team that's had your number the last two years, that that's where that team needs to be. Is, uh, does Georgia Southern, and, and I'm, I apologize if, if you said this, do they return or is this, do they return to Ball State? They have a return trip? Or yeah. they... Yes, this, this is a home and home. So the Eagles will go to Muncie next, I think it's next September. We'll go back up there. Good deal. Uh, Southern Miss headed to Tulane. I this is the best Tulane start I believe since 2009 when they finished undefe undefeated that season. But Will Hall going back, uh, I think he was at Tulane as their offensive coordinator for two, possibly three years. Um, th that's going to be a rough, rough, rough matchup, I, I believe. Now. Tulane, do they still have your former head coach? Yes, yes. Willie Fritz is still there, and they just went to Manhattan last week. They beat Kansas State. So that was that's probably Willie's signature victory since he left Statesboro in 2015. And a lot like we talked about before with Arkansas State and Old Dominion, if you're a Southern Miss program that struggled for years, you probably need to show that you have improved and – the fact that Will Hall was at Tulane, he was at Louisiana, he's been in this state before, he was at West Georgia for a while. But for him, he's been around the block, he's been a number of places, so he's going to know how to get his team ready to play. If they can find a way to get that win, then maybe there is something to Southern Miss and maybe their get back on track is going a little bit quicker than scheduled. Yeah, he's got a lot of connections, not only to the Sun Belt, but uh... – he said the Cajuns, he was here under Coach Mark Hudspeth. Uh, he was a quarterback at North Alabama for Coach Hudspeth when he was right. there. So, um, and then you've got um, 
J.D. Byers, who is one of the announcers over at South Alabama, who is a North Alabama graduate. So uh, lots of ties to everywhere. So uh, Marshall at Troy. Um, this is a game that I really thought would have been, I, I, and it still is a big game, don't get me wrong, but Marshall coming off of a loss to Bowling Green and Troy, that last second uh, loss to App State. How big of a game is this? And again, I know we don't like it's early on, but at the same time, it's there's not a whole lot of games to be played like we talked about. How big of a game is this for both teams? Oh, it's it's very big for both to start conference play for Marshall. And the, the one thing that always kills me about Troy is that the average attendance for games at Veterans Memorial Stadium is bigger than the population of Troy. And I, I love that because that shows you just how passionate those fans are, that people that don't live there will still travel there and close to fill that stadium. I think they've set attendance records either three of the last four or three out of the last five years. And that's considering that they've had three straight losing seasons coming into 22. Marshall's probably the better team, but Troy is mighty, mighty good in that, in that stadium. For them, it's how they're going to respond to one of the biggest gut punches you can take when you lose on a Hail Mary. But for them, it's probably good that they're going home instead of having to go somewhere else because they'll be able to feel the love and the warmth of that Trojan family, which is a great, great fan base. And for Marshall, this is your first chance to travel in this league as a Sunbelt member. So I would anticipate a really good crowd there this weekend. I, like I said, I think Marshall is the better team. They've got, they've, they've just got more complete talent, and I think they've been doing it for a little bit longer. But Troy benefiting from that home crowd and probably thinking that maybe we're farther along than we thought we would be by maybe letting – it's tough to say they let it slip because App just made a play. I don't think that Troy did anything wrong. App just made a play when they had to. And on a Hail Mary, when you got that kind of culture, you're able to – put yourself in that spot to make a play. And when game day's there, I'm sure it has a little bit more of a shine to it, but I'd, I'd honestly wouldn't be surprised if Troy got this one, even though Marshall's better, but th this is one that, that John Summerall could hang his hat on. And if you're Marshall, if you lose, that means your back-to-back -back losses after going to Notre Dame and winning. So that, that that's one that they're going to have to contend with too. Absolutely. Can James Madison s sneak up on App State? App State's had three games in a row. That, that lots of emotion there, but they're playing at home. If you ask a James Madison fan, they're going to go up there and shock, shock App State. That, that's just because they're not they're not loose to loose or used to losing. They've been in a classification where they are at least going to the FCS semifinals year in year out, and so far the transition to the FBS has been a good one. They've had a couple of convincing victories against teams that they were a lot better than. Middle Tennessee is, has not had a very good stretch. And then with Norfolk State, they were going to win that game anyway. But they're only playing 11 games this year, so this was the first of their two bye weeks. And to have it before you go to Boone, that's about as good of a spot as Kurt Signetti's team could be in. They're rested. App is coming off the high of having game day there and winning on a Hail Mary, so it's it's an extra opportunity for them to get the gears refocused and figure out who they are. And for James Madison, you go up there and win, then you prove everybody right that you chose correctly to make this kind of transition. 
Absolutely. I, I think it's very interesting. It's it, to me, it's a very interesting matchup for all those reasons you talked about. So, all right, this is one that I'm going to say that if, 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 if South Alabama does not win, I just might go ballistic and go over there and just start, I, I don't know, Louisiana tech going to mobile this weekend. Um, I'm sorry. I, I, I hate sports hatred, but I hate some teams, and Louisiana Tech is, is damn near the top, if not at the top. But what does South Alabama do to, to bounce back? I mean, I, I think they played pretty well. I don't think, again, I think uh, they didn't play scared, if you want to say it that way, but this is a game that they're coming home after uh, a, a, a close loss to UCLA. I'm, I'm hoping that town supports them, and it looks like they have been. But what does South Alabama have to do to beat Louisiana Tech? Well, before I tell you that, can we just all be in agreement that this weekend that nobody is a Louisiana Tech fan? Oh, I, I absolutely. Okay. Me, yes. I, I know ULM have your reasons, and Georgia Southern saw Louisiana Tech in the New Orleans Bowl in the COVID season of 2020, so we get an idea of what that is like to go against them. For for South, being before the conversation was they got their quarterback in Carter Bradley, but they got their running back too. LaDamian Webb is somebody that – had two different injuries during the offseason. He's finally healthy. He bounced around a number of different schools. He's probably the most talented running back that they have ever had at South Alabama. I know that Xavier Johnson was a really good one. The Trey Mitter was a really good one. But I think LaDamian Webb has more to offer than those other two. He went over 100 yards against UCLA. And I think that by keeping him healthy and by keeping him involved, by really establishing the ground game that South has not had consistently since they made the move up, I think that makes the difference this weekend. And I, I would think that they'd be able to beat La Tech and get to three and one. You know, ULM, for lack of a better term, I, I will say put up a little bit of a fight against Alabama. I mean, they weren't going to win and they're, they're not, you know. But this makes this game, with the Cajuns' loss to Rice, makes it a little bit bigger game. And it's always – it's one of those games that, that, that you talked about with Georgia State, Georgia Southern, uh, Georgia Southern App State. Um, the Cajuns heading to ULM. What, what have you seen out of the two teams? Talk the Cajun fans off the, off the ledge here for me. Help, help a brother out. This, this is the second time you've asked me to do this. <laughs> the first couple of weeks of the season. <laughs> we don't see you guys. Well, I can't tell you fully how to not do that. We've got that fan base, Danny. What, yeah, what? Yes, well aware. So what, what What do the Cajuns need to do, I guess, uh, against ULM? When is the last time ULM won? Was, it the, was that that crazy overtime game a few years ago with Caleb Evans? Uh, I want to say – well, I know we haven't lost the last four years because since Billy Napier was here, we hadn't lost uh, – uh, a Western Conference game, but I That's think it goes back further than that when HUD in like 2015, maybe. But they there, came was, there it, beat us. It was a 50 to 48 game, a bunch of overtimes. I think they had to come back in the second half. I, I'm going to guess that that's the last time that ULM has won in the series. Well, I can, I, I know um, Matt Viatar was the, the head coach, and I'm trying to think. I can see their name. Uh, so 2017, actually. Okay. So that might not. 
that might not have been Coach D. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah those 56-50. The last two times we've lost to them, both games have been at Cajun Field. So hmm. you, you have to go back to 2004 to find a game that we lost to them at ULM. And that, that's pretty amazing for two in-state teams. And look, I know that this is a matchup which one considers a rivalry and the other one doesn't. And honestly, that's that's very similar to the Georgia Southern Georgia State, even though it is a rivalry, contrary to what a lot of Eagle fans think. This is a rivalry, even though they felt like it probably shouldn't become one. But for the most part, it's been a series that Louisiana has dominated and ULM has been close a couple of times. I think back a couple of back-to-back years where they, where they had missed kicks at the end of the game, which would have either tied or won the game. But if Louisiana is going to show that they are still the head honchos in the West, this is one you can't, you can't give up, especially to a ULM. And that doesn't mean that ULM isn't talented because I think that they finally have some pieces in place. And Terry Bowden is – I think he's the perfect guy for that job. Unless he decides to retire, then they probably give it to the OC, Matt Kubik, somebody who came back to run the offense after going away. This is usually one of the more compelling games because there's always something noteworthy that happens, whether it's Louisiana scoring 70 points or a missed kick at the end of the game or, or a bunch of overtimes. It always seems like it's, it's, it's watchable football. But I, I would I would anticipate Louisiana getting it done this weekend, maybe not by as big as a margin as what has been in the last couple of years outside of those two games that were decided by a missed kick at the end. But I, I would think that if the Cajuns want to show who they are, they would want to make this comfortable. I just don't know how comfortable it's going to be because I do believe ULM is an improved team. Yeah, if you if you go back over the uh, last eight games, Cajuns win 31-30. Cajuns win 31-28. Cajuns lose 56-50. Cajuns win 30-3. Cajuns win 30-24. Cajuns win 34-27. Now, last season was the anomaly where the Cajuns blew them out 70-20. So, uh, I, I and I think really which people aren't talking about because I forgot the game is that bad. This could definitely be a little motivations on ULM side though, with that 70 to 20 victory. Yeah. But that's the side that's always motivated because they look at Louisiana as a rival. Yeah. And I know the part the Cajuns don't, and that's not to ruffle feathers. That's just my understanding of the Cajuns versus the Warhawks in any sport. Absolutely. Well, before we go, let's, uh, let's, Come back to Art V. Garrett with the uh, Acadian Religious Shop. There you go. Man, all right. You did it. Good for you. You did it. The baby Jesus is looking down on me, so amen. Go ahead, Art. Well, what, what I want to tell you about is that we're, we're getting in all kind of new merchandise, and uh, my daughter, my 19-year-old, my is now working in the store, so she's pushing me more towards uh, – items for that younger generation. So we have a great selection of scented candles and scented products for the home. We're doing a lot of uh, soaps and things like that and uh, really cool looking home decor that I'm just too old to pick that stuff out myself. We got a whole brand new line of jewelry that she just brought in and uh, she's really enjoying it. And I'm enjoying working side by side with my daughter. She is a sophomore at UL majoring in marketing and uh, who knows what she's going to do with that business in the future, but she is doing a great job 
So we want to invite your listeners to come out to Acadian Religious or visit us online at AcadianReligious.com. Over 4,000 items on our website to choose from. We're at the South College Shopping Center, 2819 Johnston Street, in the oldest shopping center in Lafayette, and we are the oldest store in that shopping center. Well, thank you. Truly a family business, but Art, do you have any questions for Danny? Because you've been sitting here listening, and Danny and I, well, I've been rambling. Danny actually speaks speaks coherently. That's true. I, I noticed that. You ask a lot of questions, and Danny just fills in the blanks. He's making your job very, very easy. Um, I, I really don't have any questions as far as, but I do have a comment. I listened to, to Coach Des uh, yesterday on the radio, and he talked about the streak. And uh, one of the things he said is, this is not our streak. This is last year's streak with a continuation coming on to this year. This team had a two-game winning streak, this team. So uh, the fact that he's, he's, he's ready to move on to, to, uh, uh, to this week's game, and I think that the players are as well. And uh, so we look forward to a much better uh, showing in the Sun Belt this weekend. Um, coming from what was 10 and four last week and then two and what this week? I forget. Um, we were two and nine in the league last week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but there'll be a lot of league games this weekend. So I don't know if that, that you know, there's going to be league against league. So that, that record is, is going to be a little rough, but we'll see what happens this weekend. Uh, I know everyone's looking forward to it. Uh, we're trying to get back in the win column on both sides. Danny, any words of wisdom before we sign off? I always like you to pontificate because I feel like I learned so much. Are you drinking wine tonight? No. The week before, it was the Sun Belt Conference showing the country, look, all the hype you've heard about this league and where it's headed, there's some truth to it. This past week, going two and nine, people think, oh, it's a fad. It's a trend. It's like Pogs or Game Boy. It's going to go away eventually. This is a week where the Sun Belt is naturally on a national stage. You got Thursday night in Atlanta, Georgia State and Coastal. They're going to see a really entertaining game between two Eastern Division teams. And ironically, from Georgia Southern's perspective, this is an important game because that's Georgia Southern's next two opponents. So they get finished with practice get a chance to sit down, get a live look at each team that they're going to play on October 1st and October 8th, both on the road. But for the rest of this league, it's it's stay the course. Don't let one week determine your season, whether it's a tough loss like an Old Dominion or South Alabama, or if it's a huge win like an Appalachian State, or like we just saw with Marshall going up to Notre Dame and winning, and then falling to an inferior Bowling Green team in overtime. Football is a week-by-week sport. You get a chance to do it one time per week. Prepare like you have, both mentally and physically. Be ready for the challenge at hand, and whatever happens, happens. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Art. You're welcome. You've been listening to We're Talking tonight with Craig Malasso and Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network and Art Garrett from Acadiana, Acadian Religious Shop. There you go. He hates it when I do that. So thank you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it. Share it. Put it in your podcast. 
broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due. Oh, <laughs> 